Sometimes those familiar old hymns are best, aren't they? Take out your book, The Life of Jesus. We continue our series. Today's message is entitled Storms. You can open your message guide, outlines on the first two panels. Put a verse there that fits the theme. You roll the raging sea. When its waves surge, you still them. Jesus calmed a storm on the Sea of Galilee in today's message. And the story is found at reading 78. The readings haven't been too heavy this week, so did you keep up? Are you, are you beginning to experience the personality of Jesus? See, that's the point. As we read Jesus' story day by day, we begin to know him better. And it's having that effect on me. I've preached a lot of passages that focused on Jesus, but never in one sweep, the whole of his life. So we look at this. Jesus stills the storm, reading 78. On that day, which is the same day he's been teaching, the the day that he taught the parable of the sower and then later explained it, when evening had come, when Jesus saw a large crowd around him, he told them, let's cross over to the other side of the lake. Now, you know which lake it is. What is it? Sea of Galilee, but it's also called what? You may not know this, it's also called the Sea of Tiberias in John 6. It's also called the Lake of Gennesaret at Luke 5. In the Old Testament, it's called both the Sea of Chinnereth and the Sea of Chinnereth, Joshua 12, Joshua 13. So it had many different names throughout history, but all of them refer to the same body of water. So Jesus taught a large crowd of people there on the shore using parables, which remember means cast aside or or lay beside. And so it was taking something familiar and comparing it to a spiritual principle or truth that was unfamiliar. And he talked about a sower in souls in reading 66 and 68. He talked about lamps in 69. He talked about wheat and weeds in 71. And about the, the strength of a mustard seed and how it could grow in reading 72. Now the crowd didn't understand the spiritual meaning of these parables due to their unbelief. The truth wasn't revealed to them by the Spirit or by Jesus. But he was very careful to explain the meaning to his own disciples and a few other followers. At the end of the day, Jesus left this pressing crowd and wanted to cross the lake. Capernaum is on the northwest side of the Sea of Galilee. Um, as I said, we visited the remains. It's quite, I encourage you, if you have a chance in the future, it's, it's well worth the cost to visit Israel. I think particularly after studying the harmony of Jesus' life, we'll probably go back, not next fall, maybe the next, but uh, if you have an interest, save your pennies. It's not an inexpensive trip, but it's a very valuable trip. So he crossed over to the eastern shore 
On the eastern shore, there were no large towns, so there weren't a lot of people collected there. So they left the crowd and took him, Jesus, along with them since he was in the boat. Remember, he got in the boat, why? Get a little elbow room away from the people. He sat down. Why did he sit down? Yeah, he was teaching like a rabbi, but the boat was unsteady. So choose to spiritualize or not, whatever you want to do. One reason or the other. And this boat was probably owned by, there were two pair, at least two pairs of fishermen. And so the boat was likely owned by either Peter and Andrew or James and John and their father. We don't know which one. It doesn't say that they had sold them, so they probably still owned these boats. And there were other boats with him. There were too many of them to get into the, the small boat that Jesus was in. One boat couldn't hold them all. So Jesus and his followers were out on this lake in a flotilla of boats, completely exposed. The wind was blowing. It, uh, another um, gospel tells us, and it, so it was a great peaceful journey. The lake is usually very calm, and they may have been right in the middle of the lake. But they were completely exposed, far from shore, when a warning struck, when a, when a storm struck, without warning. Now, you aren't sitting in a boat on a lake. Some of you may think that while you're dozing during this message. But you might be caught in a different kind of storm. Relational thunder and lightning, physical, mental, or emotional squalls, or perhaps even a financial tempest. Storms affect us all, and they affect our lives in several different ways. First, storms distress our lives. Verse 37, and we're still on page 90. A fierce windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking over the boat, so that the boat was already being swamped. Obviously, the waves were so big, they were crashing over the sides of the boat, and they couldn't bail it out fast enough. Now, I'd already told you that at least four of these men were fishermen. They fished on the Sea of Galilee. They were familiar with this lake. So how did they get caught in a storm far from shore? The lake is seven and a half miles wide. It's 13 miles long. So it's a, quite a large lake. Doesn't make much sense, does it? Don't you guys know this lake? How did this happen? Well, the Sea of Galilee, which is shaped like a harp, is the lowest freshwater lake on earth, 690 feet below sea level. But it's rounded by steep hills and cliffs. So what would happen is that these violent storms would develop without warning because cool air would come down from the Golan Heights, which are 2,000 feet high. And so it would blow down the shore into the lake basin, which had warm water. And so the, the clash of temperatures would start the lake, you know, the waves tossing and the wind blowing and then other winds would come in through the, the different passes and ravines that surround the lake. 
It's interesting, it's just, you can see a picture of it, it's just a bowl, and even on the cover of our book, you can see the, the uh, mountains in the distance, that's the Golan Heights showing. And so, it, it could happen with no warning at all, immediately, and suddenly you're in a storm, the boat is swamped, and it looks like you're going to die. Storms strike our lives like that, don't they? No warning. Threaten our safety, our security, our peace of mind, sometimes even our lives. You can lose a loved one with no warning. You can show up at work one day and the boss says, come into my office. And you're handed a pink slip. It may be that you just go in for a routine exam or maybe you have a little cough or something and you go see the doctor And he comes back in the room with an ominous look on his face and a shadow on an x-ray. Or perhaps you have a 12-year-old girl who leaves her house just to walk to the barn in the backyard and disappears for two nights. Christians aren't exempt from hard times. We're not saved from disappointments or disease or suffering. You know, some professing believers think that that God should protect them from every pain. But His Word does not promise us freedom from suffering. In fact, it promises the opposite. Look at this verse, 1 Peter. Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal that comes among you to test you as if something unusual were happening to you. Now, this painful testing refers specifically to persecution or mistreatment for faith, but it can also include suffering of any kind because as children of God, we are not exempted from the pain and the sorrow that is common to all people. No one escapes this world alive. Now, you might be the next Elijah, and he sends a flaming chariot to scoop you up, but I wouldn't count on it. That first Peter passage continues. Instead, rejoice as you share in the sufferings of the Messiah, so that you may also rejoice with great joy at the revelation of his glory. We identify with Jesus when we suffer as he did. It could be that we're suffering for faith very closely to the way he did. But it could be that we just suffer however, whatever kind of storm has descended on our lives. And we suffer in the midst of it still committed to faith. Still relying on God. You see, hardship strengthens our faith. It purifies our ability to trust God. And in the midst of trusting Him, in the middle of the test or the trial, His faithfulness is confirmed to us. I don't know any other way to have our faith strengthened aside from suffering. Are you suffering distress today? Can you rejoice that you're not suffering alone? 
And are you displaying in your suffering faith or fear? Storms display my faith as well. But he was in the stern, in the back, sleeping on the cushion. Okay, the storm's raging, the boat is being tossed, water is sloshing in, and Jesus is asleep. What theological truth is shown? He was tired. (laughs) That's brilliant, Lloyd. He was so depleted that he could fall asleep in the, under those circumstances. In a rocking, wet boat in a windstorm. It shows his humanity. You know, isn't it interesting that I think in our culture, we tend to diminish the humanity of Jesus. And we think he really was divine pretending to be human. Fully human. He abdicated the power he held as part of the Godhead. He was so exhausted that he could sleep in a wind and wave-tossed boat with only a wet pillow for his head. How did the disciples respond? They're in danger. Were Were they bold and courageous? What were they? Scared to death. Scared to death. Their only recourse was to call on the miracle worker. But imagine you're in that boat. Do you want to awaken him and admit you're scared? (laughs) Who do you think awakened him? I think Peter probably too. He didn't think before he acted. Hardly ever did he. I think John probably was a little more clever and he probably was always setting up Peter to do something that embarrassed Peter. You know, the word went out to us that Zoe Carlos was lost and we know what culture we live in. And she'd been lost overnight, 12 years old. And we prayed and we prayed and the prayer team prayed. And the family prayed and friends prayed and we just cried out to God. I, I had my grandchild, Leanne and I had kept our grandson that, that night. And, um, you know, it's amazing any of us over 50 survived because we didn't have all the gadgets and gizmos. But now, I mean, I could watch my grandson on a camera, you know, and... If he gets a little loud, this buzzer goes off, this red light. And so I awaken every time he cooed. But you know what it, it let me do? It let me pray for this child all throughout the night. And I know many of you did because we all, we all carried such a burden for this beautiful young 12-year-old girl, young woman, whichever. And he continues. So they woke him up and they said, Teacher, don't you care that we're going to die? 
had to be Peter. I mean, some of us would have been at least smart enough to say, uh, would you wake up? I mean, it's kind of wet in this boat. You can't be comfortable. We'd use a little misdirection. Some of y'all pray using misdirection with God instead of telling him what you really think and feel. But in their terror, the disciples' faith was replaced by fear. Now, they'd seen him work all kinds of miracles for many different people. But what was different here? It was them. I don't know who said that. It was them. That was the difference. Isn't it interesting how you can have a lot of faith for someone else? But when that storm crashes on your life, where's the faith go? They'd seen him work so many miracles for so many people, raise the dead, produce food for the hungry, healed all kinds of diseases, cast out demons. But now it's them. And their faith fled. It disappeared. Have you noticed that you can encourage others to trust God? But when you feel afraid, you have a tendency to doubt Him. Do you question? Here's, a, here's something for you to consider carefully. Do you question whether God cares about your painful predicament. Faith's always personal. In fact, it's only personal. Here's another verse, very familiar verse. Give all your worries and cares to God, for He cares about you. Do you believe this? Do, do you, y'all answer me. Do you believe this? But do you believe it in a storm? See, that's the measure, isn't it? Do you believe it in a storm? When the report hasn't come back, thankfully it has come back well. But what if it doesn't come back well? Do you display faith or fear? Here's another verse, Romans 8. For I am persuaded... That not even death or life, angels or rulers, things present or things to come, hostile powers, height and depth, or any other created thing, which includes demons, will have the power to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Are you persuaded of that? That nothing can separate you from God's love? but you just lost your job, but you have terminal cancer, but something terrible has happened. Are you persuaded? Brandon, when the crew won't do anything you say, are you persuaded that you still have the love of God? Yeah, you, are you? See, that's the test, isn't it? If faith is only on Sunday when it doesn't rain or hail or snow or, you know, y'all definitely are not postmen. What is your faith? When you get laid off before you want to be laid off and you have to find a job 
that you really didn't want to be looking for? Have you been separated from the love of God? When you hear you probably won't survive this illness, have you been separated from the love of God? That's a daunting word most of us will hear in our lives. Storms also demonstrate Jesus' power. He got up, rebuked the wind and the raging waves and said to the sea, silence, be still. The wind ceased and there was calm. Storms usually taper off. Have you noticed that? Not when God speaks. They stop. And Jesus demonstrated his control of nature by stopping the storm merely by speaking. Now in so doing, Jesus showed himself to be ruler over the natural world. But this shouldn't surprise us if we believe that he is the creator of all things in this world. John 1, 3. God created everything through him, Jesus. And nothing was created except through him. You can also read Colossians 1, 16, which says the same thing, but it also points out that he, he actually created the spirit beings, the angels and the demons, and Satan as well. Jesus' power is present in his word. When we obey his word written or spoken to us, he can work miracles within us and through us. Not because you are powerful, but because his word is powerful. You see the difference? In John 1, 1, what's he called? He's called the Word. And the Word of the Greek word logos means the divine expression. The human Jesus was the expression of the Spirit God. And when he spoke, he spoke a divine expression that was all-powerful. Sometimes Jesus performs miracles in our lives by eliminating what we fear. Sometimes he repairs broken bodies. Sometimes he, he mends damaged relationships. Sometimes he finds lost children. When bloodhounds go the wrong direction and helicopters with heat sensors cannot pick up a reading. These parents were told this child is not within seven miles of here. And the parents continued to pray and people continued to look. And this was a girl, 12 years old, two nights in the woods, scared of the dark and spiders. How real is your God? What are you doing that shows the reality of God 
At the end of every service, we pray for people. We anoint people with oil for healing. We've seen miraculous healing. Not every time, but sometimes. We gather here at 8.15 on Sunday morning. I implore you to take part. Here's the thing. Nothing happens humanly. Or should I say nothing spiritual happens humanly. Nothing eternal happens humanly. If I can convince you to walk in aisle, that's a human convincing a human. We ask God to have his spirit not convince you, reveal to you. You know the difference? I might be able to convince you of something with fear, manipulation, something, twisting your arm, scaring you. But when the Spirit of God reveals, it has you more than you have it. Something happened to you, not by you. That's the difference. So at 8.15, we're here. We ask God to save people. We ask God to heal. We ask God to restore. We ask God to regenerate. I'm asking some of you to show up. I think God will move when we ask him to move. But more voices do matter. And I know you say, well, I can't get here at 8.15 every Sunday. Okay, give me one Sunday a month. And if that confuses you, try the first Sunday. (laughs) I'm really asking. You know what? My prayer is that we would see revival in our midst. Not you come and get a message that's reasonably helpful. But that God's spirit would explode into your life. And it won't happen unless we ask. So I'm asking you, will you call on God with us? You know what? I believe that little girl was found because people loved that family. People cried out to God. I did throughout the night. Now, yes, it was because my grandson kept waking me up, but many of you did. That family never wavered. You know, the FBI said, well, she probably has a boyfriend, and he picked her up, and they're gone, and they said... That's, that's not my child. The FBI took all the computers and we're going to see what's going on here. That's not our child. That's not our child. They knew this child is somewhere in these woods. Sometimes God heals miraculously. Sometimes he doesn't. But it's always according to his will, not our efforts. And it's always his decision, not based on how good you are. God has a purpose. God has a plan. We fit into his plan. He doesn't fit into ours. And our prayers don't convince God to do something he's not sure he's going to do. Our prayers conform our minds and souls to his. And even when God doesn't heal... God helps. We can persevere through pain because God supports, God sustains, God comforts. Look at John 16, I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you'll have many trials and sorrows. You know, that's both a statement of fact, but it's also a promise, isn't it? 
but take heart because I have overcome this world. And in Christ, we can as well. Our faith can't be dependent on having a long, comfortable, prosperous life. Whether we trust God cannot based on what cannot be based on what we receive from Him. Our trust of Christ must be founded on an intimate knowledge of Him. You can't trust anyone you don't know. And that certainly includes God. Look at this, Hebrews 13. For God has said, I will never fail you. Now, the first part of this says you don't need a lot of money. Don't look for money to meet your needs. But then he says, I will never fail you. I will never abandon you. So we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper, so I will have no fear. What can mere people do to me? Do you know the power of God? Do you trust him even when you suffer? Here's a verse that you ought to memorize. You know, some of y'all like to ink up. Get this one inked on you. You know, one lady showed me how we did the the symbols years ago. She got inked, but the guy got the arrows wrong. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom should I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom should I be afraid? Are you scared today? Spend some time right there. Wrap up in that passage. Storms also disclose my immaturity. Verse 40, then he said, why are you so fearful? Do you still have no faith? The way we respond to tests and trials, difficulties and troubles, disease and disappointments, pain, suffering, sorrow, reveals how mature, how strong our faith is. You are not stronger than you display. You are not more mature than you show in your worst moments. You know how we do something and we're embarrassed and then we go, that wasn't me. That wasn't like me. No, that that was probably the most like you. The other, you have some control. When you have no control, you are revealed. We may consider ourselves strong in faith until we face a frightening situation and then our supposed faith collapses. But we're only as mature as we display under pressure. And again, Jesus' disciples had watched him perform miracles, many, many miracles. They knew he possessed supernatural power. They believed he really was from God. But what they had was human belief not spiritual conviction. You see the difference? These men made some courageous decisions to accept Jesus as Messiah, to follow, to learn from him, to assist in his ministry. It does not mean they were born again yet. 
they wouldn't receive this Holy Spirit until when? Pentecost, after Jesus' resurrection. They were still confused. They thought he, he would become the king. And they received the Spirit and they knew. The Spirit would regenerate. The Spirit would reveal truth. The Spirit would, would show them things they could never deny. But it wouldn't happen until Pentecost after the resurrection. And they were terrified and said to one, or one another, Who is this then? Even the wind and the sea obey him. The realization that the divine creator was in their boat was far more frightening than the terror they faced from the storm. Can you imagine that? Fear is a natural response for humans when they experience the presence of God. Because an encounter with the reality of God, with, with a glimpse of his glory, is overwhelming particularly in the initial experience. We see similar fear in Abraham in Genesis 18, Job in Job 42, Isaiah in Isaiah 6, Ezekiel in Ezekiel 1, Daniel in Daniel 10, Moses in Exodus 3, Peter at Luke 5, Paul at Acts 9, and John at Revelation 1. Almost without exception, they fell down. Fell down as though dead when they saw the glory of God. Samson's father, whose name was Manoah, said this. We're going to die because we have seen God. We don't die. But there's a part of us that dies. That old fleshly unbelieving self does die. But we're changed. We're transformed by experiencing God. And faith is born. Then this newborn faith is matured and it's strengthened through trials. You know this passage, James 1. Consider it a great joy, my brothers, whenever you experience various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And the lack of testing means no growth in endurance. But endurance must complete its work so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing at all. We learn that God is trustworthy, reliable, faithful only when we are tested. Are you willing? To be tested. To mature. Are you willing to suffer trials so your faith can be strengthened? Are you? Philippians 4, 6 says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need. Thank Him for all He's done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. And His peace will guard your hearts 
and your minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Do you know that Jesus is all you need? You can trust Him. I'll close us with prayer. Our counselors will be at the front. They'd be glad to pray with you about where you are in your, your faith walk. They'll be happy to anoint you with oil for healing. Whatever other need you have, just communicate it and they would be happy to assist. Father God, we thank you for Zoe's rescue. But Lord, there's so many that need to be rescued. She was lost in the woods, but some of us are lost while we still live in our homes. We're lost, though we're still going through the motions of the lives we've built. But God, we are desperately in need of rescue. We are desperately in need of deliverance. Lord, find the ones that are lost. You care about that one sheep, that one coin that's lost. Find the sheep in this room, God. And bring him or her home. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you for coming.